All right. So today, everybody, you're here. Well, we're all here for the same reason. NWA love. But we decided, well, what do you do when you don't have any new NWA content? And uh, so we've been trying to decide like new ideas. We did a poll the other day, which was a lot of fun, where factions won. And we talked about uh, all of the factions. I think, God help us if it wasn't like every wrestling faction in wrestling. Uh, but this week, uh, credit where it's due, Doc Stinson gave us a great idea because it's something we didn't even realize yet. But we are coming up on the 30th anniversary of the Great American Bash 90. And uh, that was a huge event. It's arguably, it's considered one of the greatest NWA pay-per-views or wrestling pay-per-views of all time. So that will be next Tuesday. And we thought, well, we could talk about that pay-per-view right now. But would it be better? What if we could just talk about what went into that pay-per-view, particularly in the main event of that show, which featured Sting versus Ric Flair? And I, I was going to say spoiler alert, but I guess that doesn't really matter right now. Um, this was uh, a big moment because it was Sting's first NWA championship win. And uh, so he 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 beat Ric Flair in that match. And it was a huge moment in wrestling history because this was also one of the greatest feuds of all time. So, uh, I mean, I think you can look anywhere and, and Sting and Flair is going to come up as like one of the most like long lasting, just intense feuds between people, just a storied rivalry between those two guys. And uh, so this was a big part of it. Uh, so we wanted to, to kind of jump in with like a retrospective on a little bit about Sting and about Flair, where they were at this point in time and what was happening leading into the Great American Bash. Uh, I guess now is as good a time as any to say also what we're planning on doing is we'll do this retrospective like leading up to the Great American Bash and plan on discussing the Great American Bash next Tuesday on its anniversary. But in the middle of this, we're thinking tomorrow, uh, if you want, we're going to we decided to go head to head with Monday Night Raw and we're going to have a cast watch party for the Great American Bash 1990. So if you guys are available, the Cast app is absolutely free. You can get it on your phone, on your desktop, on your tablet, wherever you want. It's just K-A-S-T, Cast app. We'll tweet about it. And uh, you just join the NWA group, and we'll be streaming the show right there for you to watch, the whole pay-per-view in its entirety, there for you to watch. There's a little chat, just like on the YouTube shows when the NWA launches something. And we can all, all chat, have a good time, hang out, have a beer on a Monday night if you want to. I don't know. You know, I don't want to pressure you. But we can all watch the Great American Bash 1990 together. And I think that'll be fun. And then next week, we'll come back and actually discuss the pay-per-view itself as the hashtag NWA fam community. And uh, I think that'll be a good idea. Did I say all of that right, Will? You did. You failed, you failed to mention that this may be the beginning of the new Monday Night Wars uh and we just thought we will be tracking viewership and we'll, we'll go head to head uh with monday night raw and see how we stack up all right i can't wait i think we can take them <laughs> whoever's giving us thumbs down in 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 the youtube world stop it yeah just leave it rob off yeah <laughs> that's a really uh -huh. good point why don't you just go away yeah, yeah. Well, world's got enough negativity. World's got enough negativity. It's cool, man. We're just guys hanging out talking wrestling. If you don't want to be here, fine. Don't hurt us by giving us thumbs down, man. Jeez. 
There you go. Uh, so yeah, so we're excited about the Great American Bash. Thirty years, man, that's crazy. I had I posted a thing about it in Facebook, and people were like sending me. Uh, I saw pictures of people's tickets for being at the event and that sort of thing. Like that's that's really cool. And a lot of people, uh, or, or at least a couple in, in Facebook, were even saying like, "Greatest wrestling show I've ever attended." And uh, so that's that's exciting. So we're going to be watching that tomorrow night. If you guys are down. Uh, and, and you can just DM one of us or, or at the AWA pod too, if you have any questions about the cast app or how to use it, but it's, it's pretty simple. And all you gotta do is have the app, create a login and join the room and it's there. It'll be just playing and uh, you can watch the thing. Uh, all right. And uh, so what we're going to do now is jump right in. I've got an outline here. I'm going to run through some factoids about the great American bash 1990. And these guys are going to help out, but uh, let's talk a little bit about it. Uh, basically, this was the sixth annual Great American Bash Wrestling pay-per-view ever produced by World Championship Wrestling. Uh, at this time, this was, of course, World Championship Wrestling, but it was in, uh, they were going together with the National Wrestling Alliance. They were still a part of the National Wrestling Alliance at this point, although we're getting pretty close to the time that separation occurred. Uh, it took place on July 7th, 1990, at the Baltimore Arena in Baltimore, Maryland. And uh, this featured a lot of cool stuff, and there's a lot of cool matches. I, I'm just going to read through the lineup here for those of you who don't know. And let's start with the dark match because I just want to see if Doc Stinson can shed any light on this. Uh, it is uh, David Sierra versus Mr. X. Uh, Stinson, do you know anything about David Sierra and or Mr. X? Um. So all the dark matches back in those, I remember, I don't know if you guys used to, to buy the VHS tapes. This is well before uh, uh, DVDs and all that. But uh, uh, I actually liked uh, David Sierra, man, because he, he was one of those Latin luchador, pre-luchador wrestlers before all of the influx in the, uh, into Nitro and all that kind of stuff. And uh, um, he was known as the Cuban assassin later on. I mean, we've seen him, and he would come in the, in the cargo pants and the boots and all that. But... Uh, this is one of those ones where if you if you if you if you order the pay per view you wouldn't have saw it, but if you bought the actual VHS you would have seen it. And I think if it's on the um, you can tell me will or not if it's on the network I think you're going to see this match. Uh, but this is this Cuban this is the Cuban assassin, so you, that might shed some light on that for you. Yeah, I, I've heard of the Cuban assassin. All right. Um, so that's that's basically as much as I want to get into the details of matches here. I'll run through the the lineup though. Brian Pillman versus Buddy Landell takes place. Mike Rotunda versus the Iron Sheik. Doug Furness versus Dutch Mantel. Harley Race versus Tommy Rich, which just seems like a crazy match to be sitting in the middle of a card, but there it is. And uh, are we going to comment on that right there? Are you on Harley you, Race and Tommy Rich? Are we well, gonna we're, what? We're, we're gonna cover oh, the. We're gonna cover it. What's going on? Because I was like, oh, hold on now. We we we're not just gonna brush past that, right? Well, we're gonna cover well, it well, on Tuesday night in full. Okay. Me... All right. Go ahead, man. Go say. Go ahead. Y'all y'all know better than me. Go ahead. Uh, what? No, we no. Well, well, now we're just talking about the build up to the pay per view. <laughs> oh man. Go ahead, man. Rob's about to get. Rob's getting pissed at us. Sorry, guys. Uh, Rob. Rob, every show we end, like after it goes off, Rob is just like, listen here. He's like that that video you've seen of uh, what's his face from Fox News going wild. Not Hannity, but uh, the other guy. I forgot his name. Like, we'll do it live. 
You know, that guy. I can't remember. You know who Greg I'm talking about? Now? All right. No, not Greg Gutfield. It's, uh, I hope no, it's not Juan Williams. It's, it's not Juan Williams either. It's like from way back. He was working on like Inside Edition at the time or something, but he later became would... like a huge. Uh... All right. This is this is off the rails now. Yeah. Uh... Rain in the end. <laughs> We will go into for for anybody who who didn't catch this earlier on or just now joining the show or your Rob Stinson, we're just going over the lineup from the roster right now, and uh, we're going to be talking about the pay per view in detail next week after everybody's seen the pay per view and we can get back together and, and on its actual anniversary we'll discuss the pay per view. Uh, this pay per view also has the Midnight Express, Bobby Eaton and Stan Lane, with Jim Cornette facing off against the. Southern boys, Steve Armstrong and Tracy Smothers. And uh, we'll, we'll have to have a talk about their jackets, I guarantee you. And uh, Big Van Vader takes on Tom Zink. And this is Big Van Vader's debut match in WCW slash NWA. Like, this is uh, it's a big deal. And uh, you got the Steiner brothers, Rick and Scott, versus the fabulous Freebirds, Jimmy Garvin and Michael Hayes. The Dudes with Attitude, Ellie Gante, Junkyard Dog, and Paul Orndorff versus the Four Horsemen, Art Anderson, Barry Windham, and Sid Vicious. You got Lex Luger versus Mark Callis. Does that name sound familiar to you guys out there? Uh, it is the other hey, Are we talking about an hour? We wait until Tuesday. <laughs> okay, listen. <laughs> Bill O'Reilly, says James Lawrence in the chat. It was Bill O'Reilly having the freak out. Yeah. <laughs> God help me. I could not think of his name for some reason. Anyway, uh, yeah, Riley do guy. it live. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then, uh, what else? Oh, oh, yeah, of course. The uh, the big one you got Steve taking on Ric Flair for the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship. So that's where the big dogs come in. Uh, and that's what we're doing tonight. We're mainly talking about the build-up to this show. Uh, I, I, I figure we'll talk about the undercard a little more that night. But today, I've, I was thinking, right, we kind of decided, let's talk about Sting. Let's talk about Flair. Let's talk about what went into this matchup. Uh, so, obviously, we at some point in the future, I think we plan on doing a bunch of deep dives. Uh, but... Uh, we're going to keep this in a brief overview, I think, because I don't think you can really like dive deep into every man's career involved in this. That's going to be just insane. So this is mainly about the rivalry between the two and leading up to the Great American Bash in 1990. Uh, anybody got anything to add before I do that? I feel bad like if I'm talking too much. No, man, take it away. Go for it. I mean, obviously, we would have blocked Rob out for most of it yeah. now. I just want to add that tune in for the tune in for the the, the deep dive and for the, the watch because when we're talking about Harley Race and Tommy Rich, this isn't just like a random undercard match. This is a rivalry that is etched in the decades. These guys battled in Georgia for the world championship. Um, both of them have their own uh, niche in in wrestling lore. Tommy Rich, not as much, although when I was growing up, he was the one that brought me into wrestling. He was the biggest name. Bigger than Ric Flair, bigger than Mr. Wrestling, too. When I was growing up, freaking Tommy Ridge was over like anybody. And then, of course, Harley Race was the perennial world champion growing up. My first world champion in my life was Terry Funk, but but Harley Race had already held the belt, and he would hold it multiple more times. And so to, it's so it's so like uncanny and so surreal to see in 1990 Tommy Ridge and Harley Race 
lockup again. So I can't wait to to, to watch that guys. We, we watch that match with you guys, man. It's just important for history. With you, man, I'm I'm excited about it, and uh, I'm I'm glad we actually said that too because I think that's good context to have. Uh, going into it for when people see this because like i mentioned when i was reading through it i was like wow what a random like weird middle of the card match yeah. like it's just uh i mean i get there's a rivalry it just feels like oh no, that's that's a main event match like why is that just like right there in the center man and that but, match was sold out arenas all over the country back in 1982 i mean that was it those were the two biggest names you're right and speaking of big rivalries another one that would start Briefly, right before this, uh, but leading up to culminating right here into this pay-per-view is going to be that Sting versus Ric Flair. And of course, they would carry on for many more years, but this was a huge uh, moment in time for those two superstars. Uh, but to talk about it, you got to kind of understand where those guys come from. Uh, and so I guess let's start with Sting here. Uh, Sting, a.k.a. Steve Borden, uh, was originally wrestling under the name Flash, when he teamed up with Jim Justice Helwig. Uh, if you don't know that name, you might know him better as the Ultimate Warrior uh, when he came to the WWE. But they were in a group called Power Team USA. Both these guys were like bodybuilders. That was their thing, hanging out on Muscle Beach, doing their thing until they got approached to uh, start wrestling. Uh, people, you know, they were looking for the body guys and that sort of thing. And these two guys were huge dudes and uh, looked like they might be good at a wrestling ring. Uh, so they they worked as Power Team USA in an independent All California. Uh, it was called All California Championship Wrestling. Uh, they were part of a four man unit that featured Garland, Glory, Donahoe, and Mark Commando Miller. Uh, plus, they had a manager, Rick Bassman, who, if I'm not mistaken, was actually the guy who trained the both of them uh, to wrestle, and uh, maybe discovered them uh, later. They would move on to Continental Wrestling Association (CWA). Uh, based out of Memphis, Tennessee, and they became known as the Freedom Fighters. Uh, fans didn't really take to them there either. And uh, so they turned heel, and uh, they were managed by Dutch Mantel. Uh, it was everything I've been able to find so far as, uh, as they went on. Uh, they really didn't have much success there, and then they kind of moved to the Universal Wrestling Federation, uh, which was run by Bill Watts, and it that was based in Alexandria, Louisiana, where they were known as the Blade Runners. Uh, Steve Borden changed his name right there from Flash to Sting, and Helwig became known as Rock, uh, not Dwayne Johnson. Though. Mm -hmm. uh, they soon joined Hot Stuff and Hyatt International, a heel stable, which is headed up by Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert and Missy Hyatt. The Blade Runners became essentially henchmen uh, with Eddie Gilbert's on-screen feud with Bill Watts. And... Uh, so at that point right there, if you look at John Laurinaitis's, uh, not John, uh, who's Road Warrior Animal? I was trying to think of his real name. It's Laurinaitis. Yeah, it's uh, Laurinaitis. Okay. So he, he said that the Blade Runners, I couldn't find any confirmation on this, but he basically described it that they were supposed to be a parody of the Road Warriors. And so they were bringing in Sting and the Warrior as parody of it, which Warrior would later go on to Ultimate Warrior, which he also says was so that he could have some connection to them. Yeah. Uh, and, and so you got in those days, man, like there, there were multiple people that thought they could just have a great body and throw on face paint and uh, and go out there and be superstars. 
but the wrestling community really rejected that. They even rejected Demolition at first. Remember Demolition, when they first came out, were looked at as Road Warrior knockoffs. Like the WWF was trying to knock off everything that was going good in the NWA. Well, part of the Blade Runners curse was that they came in at the wrong time. Uh, and they didn't come in as singles wrestlers because there were singles wrestlers that wore paint that got over like uh, T. Joe Khan or the Barbarian or others. But to have them, I remember specifically as a kid looking at the Blade Runners and thinking these are these are cheap, these are poor men's versions of the Road Warriors. And so they, that that was some that was a marketing. I mean, somebody insightful back behind stage said, "Hey, man, we we got to get on board with what the Road Warriors are doing." But but people loved and respected the Road Warriors so much that anything that appeared like that was a parody, including Demolition. Now Demolition earned their respect; they became you know, they, they ended up winning freaking WWF world titles out the kazoo, man. But, but uh, uh, you know, I think that the whole Blade Runners thing was doomed to failure just because it was a timing issue, which, which ended up being a blessing in disguise because that meant that Sting would become Sting as a singles. Um, Rock would go off and become the Dingo Warrior and then later on become the Ultimate Warrior. And both of them as singles this was that was a situation where the the components were better than the 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 composition. You know what I'm saying? So it, right. it was a timing issue. Yeah. Um, so uh, the the beauty part about doing one of these live is that we've got the chat there at uh, James Lawrence and uh, Chad Reese helping us out with uh, Joe Lauridis is Road Warrior Animal. That's who it is. I could not think of his first name for some reason. Mm -hmm. um, so around this time, uh, there's the feud between Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert and Bill Watts. But uh, as Hitchman and as a tag team, Helwig abruptly left the company uh, just out of nowhere. It kind of left uh, Sting high and dry, I guess, in sort of a way. Um, I did look into this to try to see exactly what happened there and why that happened and were they mad at each other or what the deal was. And I did find an old interview with the Ultimate Warrior talking about it. And he had this to say, he said, we came in and Watts had this reputation for roughing up new guys, especially muscle guys, especially muscle guys that really wanted to make it and showed deference to him because he was the boss. After about two or three months, there was an instance where Watts wanted me to get down in the locker room in front of all of the other guys. I'd heard the story through the grapevine about what he does. He, wa he wanted me to get down on all fours like a dog, and he was going to show me how to throw a working kick to the underbelly, or so he makes you think. Well, I heard what he does is he'll just kick the shit out of you and bust your ribs, and it's a test to see if you'll just take the crap. And I knew what he was going to do, and I said, look, if you're going to get me all, if you want me on all fours, you're going to have to put me there yourself. And of course, he wasn't man enough to go for that. He wanted me at a disadvantage to begin with. This is something that the whole locker room didn't expect because guys come in the business and they really want to make it. And they do whatever it takes. But Steve just stood there and he didn't really back me up, even though we had this bond between ourselves that we were in this good or bad. I was bothered by that. We really started splitting ways, thinking differently about goals, etc. Eddie Gilbert and some of the others got into Steve's ear and our relationship just kind of fell apart. I was never afraid to think for myself as Steve war wanted to be handled so i picked up the full one day and called wccw over in texas and that's and they just left as soon as i had an offer basically uh so that that's kind of a 
hopefully not too long-winded, but an explanation from the Ultimate Warrior side of things on what happened between him and Sting and why the uh, why the breakup happened. Uh, for what it's worth, Sting had success after that moment, though. Sting went on to win the UWF World Tag Team Championship twice with Eddie Gilbert. Uh, got a lot of, uh, seems to have a lot of mentorship from Eddie Gilbert during this time. And uh, he won the titles uh, for a third time with Rick Steiner in 1987, I saw. And uh, let's see here. And following a match against Terry Taylor in mid-87, Gilbert interfered on Taylor's path, costing Sting the match. And Taylor and Gilbert ganged up on Sting until gentleman Chris Adams came to Sting's aid. Adams cleared the ring and then asked Steve, Sting if he was with him or against him in this feud with Terry Taylor and Gilbert. Sting turned babyface that day by declaring his allegiance to Adams. Uh, so that was right. like a big moment for Sting, though, because he would become the ultimate babyface. And this, of course, got the endorsement from Eddie Gilbert, who was telling everybody who'd listened that Sting was the next big superstar wrestling, including like he was feeding that information to what they call the dirt sheets with like Meltzer and those guys yeah. and stuff saying like, you got to keep your eye on this guy. He's, he's huge. And from a historical standpoint, let's keep this in, in perspective here because there were a lot of people. Now, we're, we're building up the context for, for the showdown between Flair and Sting, which happened in a couple of iterations, which we'll, we'll talk about tonight, but uh, to, to the big title change that happens. There were a lot of people being forwarded as the next big thing in those days. Lex Luger, Billy Jack Haynes in the Pacific Northwest, Eddie Gilbert was one of them. Um, you had Barry Windham, who who was always on the cusp of, of, of wresting that title from Flair. You had Kerry Von Erich, you know, who was at that point had transitioned over to the WWF. But you had a lot of names that were going to be the next big name. And by big name, I'm not talking about like, hey, they're big. I'm talking about big name like Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair big. And Sting was one of those. But this is in a very, very bloated market. So, you know, this and this sets the stage for what comes up at Clash because – Sting was one personality in a very big market of, of, of talent. Chris Adams being one of them, Gino Hernandez, um, you know, other things, you know, uh, I mean, the name, the list goes on and on and on, but it was not yet. See, we think today like Sting, of course it's Sting, but we're reading our perspectives back on history. In, in, in 1986, 87, and 88, 89, we did not know yet that Sting was going to be who he was. We did not know he was going to be a superstar. We knew he was a great looking guy that had talent and put face on and he was charismatic, but there were a hundred of those. So anyway, I just want to throw that in there that, that, you know, it was a big deal to get the Eddie Gilbert endorsement. Like it was a huge deal because Eddie Gilbert, man, in those days, he held a lot of weight and a lot of authority and a lot of respect. And he himself was one of those that was touted. It's maybe he might be that guy that might be the, the next big thing. So no, I appreciate that, Rob. I mean, that's exactly, that's why you're the doctor. So we, we like getting that uh, perspective and, and that sort of thing. So um, uh, yeah, and you're, you're right with like Eddie Gilbert. He was so behind Sting during this time that he had him tabbed to win the UWF television championship, which he himself, Gilbert, held. Uh, he was going to put Sting over to win that title, but uh, unfortunately that never did happen, I don't think, because Jim, Cor uh, Jim Crockett, uh, came along with the National Wrestling Alliance and they bought the company from Watts. Uh, that's like a whole other story. I remember there being like a whole thing about this, you know, like I think uh, this is back when 
the real rivalry was going on between WWE or WWF and NWA and like buying right. out territories and stuff like that. But but yeah, so they ended up buying out Watts from it. I think originally, if I'm not mistaken, I read something about Turner was going to buy UWF and work out a deal with Watts, but uh, Crockett worked out something underneath that and kind of took it away from Turner at that point. But yeah. anyway, just a side note. The best, the best, if you want to get a quick snapshot of that, y'all need to read, and we all three have read it, Brian Solomon's Pro Wrestling FAQ. He, he gives a good, very brief synopsis. He's not going to tax you and all that. I mean, this is, to me, this book, up, up with Hornbaker's books, this Pro Wrestling FAQ is like the best synopsis of like a quick, uh, a broad brush stroke of what was happening. And he goes into the, the Bill Watts UWF thing, and he'll, he'll give you a good, if you guys don't have background knowledge on it, before tomorrow, uh, shoot, just text me, man. I, I'll send you a little scan of the page. But better yet, you need to go and buy this book because it, it gives you some great insight. Yeah, I, I can definitely vouch for that. I think all three of us have that book. You doing all right over there, Will? Am I, am I boring you to death or anything? No, man. I'm taking it all in. I I, um, I agree with James in the chat who uh, mentions you know, Sting was a better all-around talent. I mean, I think even in those days you could see that. And, uh, you know, it, it, as unfortunate as that split was, obviously, it was really better for both of them. I mean, you know, Warrior got to go be himself and, and make a name for himself. And then obviously, as, as we're getting to, Sting did the same and became arguably, as you said, one of the biggest and best baby faces in all of wrestling uh, consistently. And, and definitely for WCW, the franchise guy, and uh, we're still talking about him today and, and he's got a story career and this was really the beginning of that. And so uh, I think it's cool that, that their paths started together uh, and then they went their really completely separate ways and, and made different marks on the industry. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I've always been a sting guy. I, I liked ultimate warrior as a kid um but it it i mean sting just had that 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 draw to him and that that all-around talent and that um just it's it's hard to explain with words man i mean because i was a you know i was a, a eight nine-year-old kid you know when i was first exposed to to sting and and, and wcw and um it was just it, it was gripping man and and i love that um you know, this pay-per-view, I, I remember, I don't think I watched it live, but I watched the VHS of it, as you alluded to, Rob. And I mean, this was just such a, a story rivalry and this was the kickoff of that. So this is, this is great. Just as an aside, did you guys ever have the Sting Rat Tails growing up? Because I know I did. <laughs> I knew a bunch of people with the Rat Tails, but I never actually had the Rat Tail. I did want to spike my hair like Sting, though. I did try that for a little while. All of my daughters have had rat tails. Petra's got a little rat tail right now. (laughs) Like, well, I was gonna show, I was gonna show y'all this uh, because you know, in preparation, I always, I always have this on my desk. But this is my 1990, coincidentally, uh, Galoob Sting figure. He's got the rat tail, man. It's like true to life, you know. And look at that muscle tone on the back there. I mean, God. That guy works his back. Yeah. Dude, look at that. He does, he does He's some pulls. He's been doing the Eli Drake 30-day challenge, man. That's what's going on right there. He's been doing the five-year challenge to have a back. <laughs> Jeez. I would Chad Reese. Like, it's funny, like, looking back on it now, I think growing up, the Ultimate Warrior was one of my favorite wrestlers. Uh, when I first got into wrestling, it's, it was hard to beat as a kid. But mainly just because, like, I think – 
Warrior just had that wild personality and it was just easy to get behind a guy when you're a young kid that's just like raging and just runs in the ring and just like stops the crap out of somebody in like five minutes and then leaves you're like that must be the greatest wrestler ever but uh and and looking back now you're like obviously Sting had the most talent yeah no I feel like but I feel like at the time like that was you were kind of either one or the other and, and it was really based on if you were a WWF kid or a WCW kid and Gary you mentioned you were a WWF kid uh, I was a WCW kid all the way uh, I was aware of the WWF but I I didn't watch it on any kind of regular basis and I did think that the, the Ultimate Warrior was cool um, but you know again it just did not have the grip on me that Sting did seeing him week in week out you know on WCW Saturday night and things like that uh just I, I mean I think that sums it up when you talk about all-around talent I mean you're talking about in the ring obviously he was outstanding but on the mic you know he was compelling and I feel like that was something the Ultimate Warrior didn't necessarily have because he was kind of this over-the-top just you know Tasmanian devil type character which which was was cool um, but Sting was just a lot more uh, true to life and a lot more like uh, believable, I think, as a, as a character and as, a, as an athlete, um, because he was just a lot more down to earth and um, likable, honestly, in my mind. It was easier. We talk about this a lot in terms of NWA, but, you know, the difference to, in, for me between Sting and the Ultimate Warrior is Sting was you were easy. To, it was easier to connect with Sting as a person. Right. Because, I mean, even though I didn't wear face paint and have a rat tail and a a blonde flat top, uh, the way he talked and and his feuds and things like that were a little more realistic and believable than this Ultimate Warrior character who just like had endless energy and just would just run for no reason and just, you know. Uh, pump his arms and when he talked he sounded like you know uh, a you know an animal or something and I get that was his character but again it was just more Sting was a more relatable character he, he was more lifelike and that to me that was why even as a kid I, I bought more into Sting I think you're you you were a more of a thinking man's wrestling fan than I was when I yes, was a kid because I was at, just like even at nine years old I was just I was very philosophical when it came to uh, the wrestling business. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I just never I you know obviously like I said I, I can look back now and I say like uh, yeah the Sting definitely had it had it going more than than Warrior did but uh at the time i don't know I, it's it's weird that i ended up a wwf fan early on because i grew up in like southeast georgia like i should have i should have had nwa but i don't know for some reason it's and in, in my younger days it wasn't as accessible for some reason and uh wwe's or wwf's what got me um we can move on here and talk about that once uh jim crockett bought the uwf uh, kind of made that arrival in the NWA. It was uh, about July 87 from what I could gather. And uh, Dusty Rhodes was booking at the time, as far as my understanding. And uh, he kind of liked Sting and uh, decided to throw him out in his first uh, foray into pay-per-view in Starcade 87. He was in the opening match. Threw him in there with uh, Michael P.S. Hayes and Jimmy Garvin, the fabulous Freebirds, in a six-man tag match against Gilbert Stein. Steiner, Larry Zabisco. Uh, you know, I didn't write down which Steiner that was. I guess that would have been uh, good. I guess that would have been Rick at the time, was, probably, right? It was Rick. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, 
it ended in a 15 minute time limit draw, but he definitely proved himself and established himself as a rising star uh, and ended up actually becoming one of the only members of the UWF alumni to be pushed in the NWA. Uh, they weren't, uh, I think at the time it was titled like this would be a huge deal, but a lot of the UWF guys got kind of, kind of buried at the time, you know, like not really anybody was used to their abilities. I think you would see a lot of people argue, but Sting, Sting got the love and, uh, he uh, ended up, I mean, this is about the time. I mean, he kind of, as a rising star, the rookie kid, it was so popular and established himself so much that he was able to, I mean, I wish there was more buildup to this. He kind of, Rob, you may know more minute details, but he kind of barges right in. And at Clash of the Champions 1 in March of 1998, Sting challenges Ric Flair for the World's Heavyweight Championship. First, some context for people who don't know, Clash of the Champions uh, started as a rivalry show to, I think this was WrestleMania 4 at the time, um, WrestleMania 4 on pay-per-view. Uh, these guys decided to throw on a show uh, free on TBS for anybody to watch in hopes of uh, challenging the show. And so this was the headline of that, Sting versus Ric Flair for the World's Heavyweight Championship. Rob, do you, do you have any more details about the buildup for that that I just didn't see? He had, this was, uh, this was an opportunity. I think there were, uh, they were alluding to uh, fan reactions and fan responses back in those days about who they wanted to see um, challenge Flair. My, my memory is vague, but I remember that by that point, Sting was, had become just through sheer force and charisma, size and ring ability and his, his ability to talk on the microphone. He had become the most over babyface in the company. And um, again, it's kind of like, you know, the horsemen, the, the four horsemen war thing and all that, but the NWA has always been about human interest stories and this, uh, and baby face and heels not ever been, I mean, it's always been there, but it's not been a preoccupation. And so in those days, uh, Flair was considered to be a, a, a performance sport prize fighter also. And so this, this uh, clash of the champions match, the build up felt very natural. It felt, you know, this is at the time of Tyson, you know, Tyson, uh, Buster Douglas, man, Tyson Spinks. Uh, this felt very much like that. Like this is, we got this young upstart who Flair is probably going to beat, but uh, it's interesting to see him because remember in those days, you know, we think, we think, we, we look at everything in hindsight and everything in, in, in retrospect and we, and, and we're so conditioned to titles changing hands left and right in the WWE and so forth. But in the NWA, it didn't happen like that. A title might change hands once every year or two and uh and and it felt like flair just could not be beat he was at the peak of his game and so i don't feel like even as a as a kid back then that i thought that 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 sting was in the same league as flair but i was very intrigued by the prize fight so uh that's kind of what was leading up to it this was sting wasn't anything then man sting wasn't the sting that we know i mean he was over he was popular he was People felt like the the sky was the limit for him, but he had not yet even emerged as this is going to be the main event guy. So this was a huge, huge opportunity for him going into this match. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. And uh, and, and props to the chat. I love having the live chat for some of these sometimes uh, because uh, they they throw in some details. And uh, Chad Reese mentions, you know, Clash of the Champions. By the way, was only free because. They were going to throw it on pay-per-view, apparently, it sounds like. And then uh, 
Vince threatened all of the cable operators that if you use this other brand on pay-per-view, we won't use you anymore. And so they kind of just were also their hand was forced. And I think they wanted to go head to head with WWE, but decided to go uh, with it for free on, on cable. Um, and uh, James Lawrence uh, in the chat mentions that Dr. Death was supposed to get a push against Flair in a title unification match, uh, but it fizzled out there. So, um, right. There, there were a couple of things. There was a uh, Terry Taylor and Nikita Koloff that was anticipated as this big feud between competing uh, TV champions um, or national champions, and there was uh, there were there was other there were others. Steve Williams was definitely Steve Williams was a a main eventer those in those days. He would go to Japan with guys like Terry Gordy and uh, just just and Hogan and just steal the show because he's such a big dude, you know. Uh, but yeah, he was supposed to get a push and, and I don't know why things play out that way, but, um, it, it's crazy. But the, the, the point I wanted to make about the whole pay-per-view thing and, and going head to head with mania, let's look at the foresight here of Bill Watts and the promoters and all that to go head to head with WrestleMania. Who are the two guys that are going to carry it and challenge Sting and Ric Flair, Sting and Ric Flair. Now to us, that seems like, of course. But that wasn't the case then. That, we did not know yet. Sting was still a new thing. You know, he was cool, but he was still a new thing. And that just shows a lot of foresight in the marketing and, and just gambling and risk-taking. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, um, so for context around that, there was a war building up between, you know, McMahon and the NWA. But it started when they booked Survivor Series and Starcade on the same day. And Vince basically sent out, you know, a decree to the cable operators and said, if you're going to carry Starcade, I'm going to pull, you know, my pay-per-views off of your provider. Um, and then he, he was kind of warned after that, like, not to do that anymore, not to make, you know, the cable operators uh, do that. And so Clash of the Champions was kind of the, the NWA, WCW saying you know we don't have to be on pay-per-view we'll we'll go up against you on on free live television and so this was kind of a continuation but you know the great thing is man how many great clash of the champions did we get after this started man clash of the champions was such a uh pivotal point of my child because like when i was a kid like we weren't forking out 50 bucks for a pay-per-view you know so i didn't right. get to see i mean the first pay-per-view i ever saw uh, even though I was a WCW kid, the first actual pay-per-view I saw live was Royal Rumble, and it was like 92 or something like that. But it was like, you know, the Clash of the Champions to me was WrestleMania. For a kid like me who wasn't going to get to buy any pay-per-views, it, it literally was WrestleMania. So I love, you know, it, it did kind of start out and have like some spiteful beginnings, but because of that, you know, the product was just elevated. And so, you know, sometimes sometimes those things do come from, uh, you know, these these wars and, and, you know, backstage politics and stuff like that. Uh, sometimes we as wrestling fans can benefit from that. So I thought that was a really cool. Yeah, you say spiteful, but I think, I, think, I mean, you know, their hand was forced. They had to do something. Uh, I looked at Superpower from NWA kind of like that. Like I enjoyed that, like almost like, the free like short pay-per-view uh that you can watch you know with some actual big matches on it um guys let's uh let's jump in here and uh let's give a little context for the other guy uh that's main eventing this great american bash 90 and that's rick flair uh now where do you even start with rick flair though because he's like possibly the most legendary of wrestling figures 
His history is like way too much to cover tonight. Uh, there's way too many stories, but I thought an easy way for me to get some, some perspective on Ric Flair during this is I started looking at some accomplishments right around this time, just in from the outside uh, wrestling press. So I, I looked this up and I, I documented this. So for Pro Wrestling Illustrated, where our friend Brian Solomon, whose book you just uh, pitched, is a c contributor, uh, he throws in uh, that they, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, Ric Flair was in the feud of the year in 1987 with the Four Horsemen versus the Superpowers and Road Warriors. Feud of the year in 1988 versus Lex Luger. Feud of the year in 1989 versus Terry Funk. Feud of the year in 1990, again with Lex Luger. That's from Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Wrestling Observer, old Uncle Dave over there. Ric Flair had the match of the year in 1983. Again in 1986, 1988, 1989, 1980, 1982, that through 1984, 1993, 19... Uh, like he, uh, I think I said all of those for match of the year, but he also got uh, most charismatic in 1980, 1982 through 84, and in 1993, most outstanding in 86, 87, 89. And he was the reader's favorite wrestler in 84 through 1993, and again in 1996, and won wrestler of the year 1982 through 1986, 1989, 1990, 1992. Uh, who's all right? In 1990, but, I mean, PWI wrestler of the decade. 1990, PWI wrestler of the decade. And uh, so Flair was hitting yeah. it somewhere. I don't know. I it was like he was the young up and cover too. <laughs> and I got to take my friend J. Cal. I love J. Cal, man. I usually defer to him on everything, and he's got you know J. Cal is. Moses in the wilderness, man. He was there when nobody else was there. So he has he has a very deep, ethereal, existential attachment to Dan Severin. <laughs> Dan Severon and uh, and Adam Pierce and, and some of those other guys to the point that he will say that Flair is not as on his Mount Rushmore. And that's where I've got to be like, Jake Cal, you, you know this better than anybody. Separate yourself from the emotion. Ric Flair is the greatest of all time. That's not an argument. I mean, I want to hear the argument against Ric Flair. He has this lady. So this is, you're coming into Clash of the Champions, and then after that bash, so you've got this young upstart, talented, charismatic, but that's what he's got going for him, Sting. He's got charisma and talent. What has Ric Flair got going for him? Only the greatest resume in the history of the sport going back to 1905 and before that, even to the foundations of the world. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, he, right. this whole feud begins at the end of one of the most epic feuds, which didn't even win feud of the year, Ric Flair versus Ricky Steamboat. People who go back, scholars look back and look at that series of matches between Steamboat and Flair and say, this was when Steamboat was at his best and this was when Flair was at his best. Flair loses the belt with Steamboat, wins it back, and that's when things are set in motion for the collision ultimately between Flair and Steamboat at Bash. But before that, of course, you know, we had the Clash of the Champions that put Sting on the map. Yeah, I was uh, looking through just trying to, like, kind of thinking to myself, like, all right, I get all these uh, things out of the way. How do I recap Flair? And uh, he obviously had a storied career all up into this Clash of the Champions. Um, but the main things I, like, noted down is he'd had his first NWA championship in September of 81 versus Dusty Rhodes. And despite many bumps in the road after that, he'd hold it until June of 83, where he officially lost a Harley race. This would, of course, lead to the epic 
a flair for the gold starcade where flair would win it again in november of 83 flair would go on to trade the title in epic feuds with carry von eric dusty Rhodes, or even a weird one with harley race that like everybody recognizes except wwe uh so that'd be interesting to look into sometime um and they had a quick odd attempt where they put it on ron garvin and uh flair had uh he had just won it back from Ron Garvin after a, a brief stint there uh, going into the clash. So I think what, what you're, what you're saying basically, Rob is, I mean, this is, this is peak flair. This is like him on fire running rough shot through the wrestling industry. There is nobody better than Ric Flair at this time. The only rival he has is a Hulk Hogan or something is in terms of name. Like this is, and this, this is the man time when, when the WWF and NWA did not acknowledge each other's existence. You can argue. I, I would argue. I would argue. And I'm up. I, I'm always teachable on this stuff. But from 80, 86, 87, 88, 89, 90, those five years, nobody who's ever graced the squared circle has ever put in a body of work like Ric Flair has. This is not Ric Flair on his on going you know over the hill this is rickler at his peak the only person that's put in a body of work like this ever is nick aldis and that's why I'm, i've always said that this is the time to start considering nick aldis up there in that echelon of greats of all time or i'll stand by that yeah i'm with you i'm, I'm always supporting nick aldis uh to to be one of the greats of all time it's also uh votes for uh uh Chris Jericho in there. That was interesting in the chat. But uh, moving on, uh, this this clash, uh, we already said, was right across from WrestleMania 4, free on TBS. Ended up drawing a 5.6 rating. Uh, in this match, J.J. Dillon was suspended above the ring in a cage to keep him out of the way. And it was just basically the young new guy Sting trying to prove himself against the best wrestler in the world. And uh, he did. Uh, the match actually ended in a draw after the 45-minute time limit expired, and the ringside judges could not declare a winner. Uh, so, so already right here, uh, Rob mentioned that you know this was a guy that like coming into the match, you're like, I like this guy, he's cool, Sting's cool, but he's not the Sting we know now. This was just a young cool dude, and you're like, the players can beat him, but it should be fun. The player doesn't beat him. It actually goes to a time limit draw, which is a cool move uh, there. Uh, your ringside just, judges in the thing were wrestling, wrestling official Gary Juster, uh, who gave the match to Sting, but penthouse model Patty Mullen declared, decided in favor of Flair, which imagine that, the penthouse model. Uh, wrestling official Sandy Scott ruled it, he ruled it a draw. And no decision was announced for the remaining two judges, which were actor Jason Hervey from The Wonder Years and uh, Ken Osmond. Uh, it resulted in it being ruled completely a draw, and Flair retained the title. Um, so that's how the the original Clash won. But that's actually, I mean, for what it's worth, that's a big deal for Sting at that point. Like he had never had a match with somebody in like that caliber of opponent. Yeah. First of all, I love The Wonder Years. So uh, great, great reference there. Second of all, let's not skim over the fact that th you said it was a 45-minute time limit draw. Yeah, that's what I had here. Th that's, like, that's unheard of. Like, maybe not back then, but now, just put that in context. Like, that's, 
that's sensational that they went that long. And I, I, I remember I've watched that match in the last 12 months at some point. Um, and it, 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 it's, it's, it's incredible. Like there's not really a lot of words to describe it other than like, uh, and it's funny because you mentioned this and I, when I, I went back and I started watching the clash of the champions, I think I was trying to watch them like in order just when I was bored and I remember watching this and I really had no idea that that was like his first, like it really felt like just in the ring that these guys had been working together for years. And I just thought in my mind, cause I've seen them, I've seen the feud and I've seen them work together a lot. It, it just seemed like that had been going on already for three or four years. And so now that I know that, um, that blows my mind. Uh, just go back and watch that match and, and tell me this is their like first big headlining main event. They blew it out of the water. It was definitely a pay-per-view level main event. I mean, could have, could have highlighted any WrestleMania, Starcade, whatever pay-per-view and it was free on tv and they went 45 minutes and it's interesting because like now we're so conditioned that when you have like a, a no finish like that uh, or a draw or something like that that it's like a disappointment that match was not a disappointment like everybody came out of that match looking spectacular and that's that's a lost art you know we talk about that a lot with when we're talking about historical wrestling and stuff like that is to be able to sit there and invest 45 minutes uh, into a match nowadays it's more like 15 minutes or 30 minutes at the most but into a match where there's not a decision like nobody comes out the winner nobody loses but still you do not regret investing that time because it was just such a, 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 an amazing uh, feat that you just witnessed happen inside a wrestling ring and a great story that was told uh, you know between the four corners and that's the kind of stuff that this business is about and that's what we're about that's why we love the nwa because we believe out of all the promotions that exist today this modern iteration of nwa probably has the best probability of pulling something like that off because that's the stuff that our childhood was made of and that's the stuff that created you know uh fairy tales and and these larger than life stories in our minds when we were growing up and so I just didn't want to gloss over that because that is a huge accomplishment in and of itself that they, those guys went 45 minutes and both elevated each other in the process. And that's just, that's phenomenal. Right. And, and remember, like it's such a good, good work of storytelling. Like it's not just that Sting came off looking good. Let's remember what was happening when that 45 minute time limit elapsed. What was going on in that ring? Sting had Flair in the Scorpion Deathlock, man. Yep. And he yep. had beaten Flair. Flair was literally saved by the bell to throw another show reference in there that I liked a lot. <laughs> of the 90s. Jeff yeah. Johnson wants us to not glaze over the fact that Jason Hervey went on to be Eric Bischoff's uh, television production partner. So uh, just, just throw yep. that in there. He had had, some, he had had a hand in that even before that. Uh, he had had some hand in uh, uh, investing and as a stockholder, I think, in uh, – Crockett promotions or something, but I'd heard that before that he was a uh, not only just a fan, but that he had some business dealings with uh, with Crockett, and then later on with WCW. So that's that's true. And, and to to add on to what Will was talking about with the time limit draw part of it, James Lawrence is is quick to mention and, and should mention uh, that this is forty five minutes on TV. This is not just 
any 45 minute time limit draw. This is a, on on just regular television. And you're getting a 45 minute classic time limit his, draw. Historically, Clash of the Champions did not do commercials during their matches, which is something we're accustomed to now. If you watch, you know, mainstream uh, cable television, you're you're used to seeing either the picture in picture or uh, having a commercial break during a match. They did not do that at Clash of the Champions. So this was 45 minutes, no advertisements, straight up. You witnessed the match as it happened live. Yeah. And in that 45 minutes, the landscape of the NWA was changed forever because at this point, there was a seismic shift. From this point on, Sting is not just a good-looking, charismatic, good-looking body with paint on his face. Sting is now a contender for the world championship. From this point on, and it would never evade, now Sting was the franchise of the NWA and what would later become the WCW. So this is truly one of the great historic moments in, in NWA lore. Yeah, uh, Sting would end up going on to uh, face Flair a few more times in non-television rematches following the clash. Uh, he, uh, he, he'd end up losing uh, all of those, I think, pretty much that he, that he faced him. But they were non-televised, and, you know, they just, like, carried out the feud a little bit, and uh, I guess you'd call them house shows or whatever. But um, he uh, would go on also to face uh, a lot of people in Flair's stable. Chad Reese mentioned the Four Horsemen in the uh, live chat. It just you know, it was also crazy. There was no interference from the Horsemen, uh, which was unheard of at the time. And, uh, and James Lawrence also pointing out the Steams assuming that Magnum TA spot here, which is a good point to mention, but uh, I'll probably be safe for like a deeper dive into something like this uh, or somebody's uh, career. But uh, Steve would go on to feud with a bunch of members of the Four Horsemen. Uh, he ended up teaming with uh, Koloff at the Great American Bash in July of 88. Uh, they challenged Tully and Arn for the NWA World Tag Team Championship. Uh, Blanchard and uh, Arn won or retained the titles, I think, when that also went to a time limit draw. So Steve constantly uh, getting screwed out of things with the time limit draw. Um, but Dusty Rhodes liked him a lot and uh, continued to book Sting and title matches throughout the year against like uh, the United States champ, which was Barry Windham at the time, and the television champ, which was Mike Rotunda. And in the fall of 88, uh, Sting actually got in a big feud when he was attacked by Hawk and Adam of the Road Warriors after a tele televised match. And Dusty Rhodes uh, identified Sting as like a huge deal, and he wanted a part of that, I think. Uh and they were looking for an easy way to turn the Road Warriors heel. So Dusty ended up working that in just for context to like team with Sting to face the Road Warriors after the Road Warriors had like hurt Sting and Dusty basically. So that, that kind of helped him make that transition. I just thought that was an interesting side note there. Um, but yeah. uh, Rhodes and Sting, I think, uh, ended up beating the Road Warriors, I think, in – the feud that went to Starcade 88, if I'm not mistaken in that, uh, but it was by disqualification. So the road warriors uh, retained. Yeah. And this was like the road warriors were so over. It, this is one of those situations where they, you can never turn. This is back to the heel baby face thing. Like the, the workers in the ring don't always have that choice because even with this, I mean, these guys, the road warriors put dusty Rose's eye out with a spike and they were still over. Even Sting. So they bring Sting in to finally do the job, and that still didn't work. That's how over they were. But Sting in that time, too, at some point in that time frame, emerging as the guy that was the one potentially to fill in that Magnum CA spot, like uh, uh, 
James Lawrence is saying to be the one to rest to rest the belt from Flair. Jane, uh, Sting wins the Crockett Cup with Lex Luger. Like they win the Jim Crockett Senior Memorial Cup at some point, you know. And he's like, he is like on all fronts, tag team, solo. You know, it, it's an effort to move storylines. It's an effort to turn the the Warriors teal. Sting is being increasingly looked at as the guy who is going to be the standard bearer of the company. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so after that uh, battle, Sting ends up returning to singles matches in 89. Uh, he started that year off wrestling Flair to a one-hour draw in Atlanta's Omni on New Year's Day. Uh, and he, he had his first experience in Japan. He went over to Japan for a tour with All Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh, had a, a pretty notable match with Dan Spivey I saw uh, over there in uh, June of 89. Uh, ended up coming back and winning his first actual NWA championship when he defeated Mike Rotunda, the NWA television champion, uh, in March, though. Uh, and Sting defended the television title pretty actively against people like uh, the Iron Sheik. And I think I saw a big feud with the Great Buddha during that time as well. Uh, on the other side of it, Ric Flair went on to have his old thing going on. In February of 89, in the Chi-Town Rumble in Chicago, Ricky Steamboat pinned Flair to win the NWA World Heavyweight Championship, and that prompted, uh, we kind of talked about it a little bit, a series of rematches where uh, Steamboat was the family man, uh, often accompanied by his uh, wife and young son, and Flair was the opposition as the immoral, fast-living ladies' man uh, seducer. And... Uh, then uh, following the best of three falls match with Steamboat that lasted just short of 60 minutes, uh, where Steamboat retained the title at Clash of the Champions 6, Raging Cajun, uh, Flair regained the title from Steamboat on May 79 in Wrestle War, uh, which was, by the way, voted as 1989's Match of the Year by Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Uh, he would go on to defend that world title against... Terry Falk, uh, and uh, that was, it, it was like the Great American Bash, and Falk had the faction, the uh, JTEX Corporation, I believe, and, uh, and Flair was supposed to have the uh, Four Horsemen. Uh, after Flair gets the victory in this match, he's attacked by uh, the Great Muda, who was Falk's buddy at the time. And who would come to his aid at this time but Sting, of all people, this is his rival. And Sting comes to save Ric Flair from the attack with Great Muda because, obviously, that previously mentioned rivalry with Muda. And uh, Flair and Sting would begin to uh, feud with Muda and Funk for the rest of the summer and fall, which culminated in a Thunderdome cage match between the two teams, which Flair and Sting won at Halloween Havoc 89. And this led to Sting joining the newly reformed and now babyface Four Horsemen, along with the Andersons, Arn and Ole. Do you remember all this, Rob? Man, like I remember it. Like I, I know that. I know that. Like I know the knob on the back of Petra's head, man. <laughs> that, was, that story was so amazing to me, man. Because, uh, like, I always loved Flair, man. I always did. And, and you know, I mean, we. There's something about, you know, I mean, I, I like the bad guys, or something, but there's something too human about us, too, that we're root for the good guys as well. And uh, it was so neat to me that, that Sting and Flair, it would be like, 
Dusty Rhodes joining the Horsemen, but and not as much because Dusty Rhodes was so much bigger. But it was on that scale because Sting had become on that echelon of of talent where he was one of the main baby faces in the company. And so for him to uh, uh, to join forces with Flair, and this goes back again to the theme that I'm always hitting on that baby face and heel has not ever, not ever been a preoccupation. Right before this. Flair was the top heel in the company, man. I mean, you got Jay Tex and Gary Hart, and they were much more sinister and more colorful. But uh, um, but Flair was still a heel. And and we were like, you know, Sting joining in. What We weren't quite sure that meant that Flair was a baby yet. We didn't know what it meant. We just knew that it wasn't that big a deal, that now the, the greatest organization in wrestling, the Four Horsemen, now had joined forces with Sting, and we had no clue what this meant or what it portended for the future, but it was big. It was important, man. I love this. And, uh, it, and it wasn't just by accident that Sting joined in this. Remember when, when Muda attacked Flair, Sting and Muda were having a big feud at the time too. And so this was sort of a natural, it was almost like just the, 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 the landscape forced these two together. And I remember Pro Wrestling Illustrated putting in uh, uh, an organization or, or an, episode, uh, an issue out about how Sting's friendship was killing Flair, like it was not natural to him. I can't remember. I think I've got it somewhere in my archives, but uh, but how this friendship was so unnatural and that secretly was killing Flair. Like they were dropping these hints that, look, guys, don't settle into this friendship. This is not, this is Flair paying respect and, and showing appreciation to someone who helped him. But let's not get away from the fact that Flair didn't change his personality overnight just because Sting helped him. Flair is still Flair, and Sting is still Sting, and this, this is oil and water. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I love that. Uh, I love that Muda played such a big part in that because, I mean, thinking back, I mean, to me, I mean, Sting had a ton of great feuds. I mean, obviously, him and Flair is the one we're focusing on here, um, but Sting and Great Muda was next level feud. Um, I mean, those guys had some barn burners. They, I mean, that I remember as a kid, you know, too, I mean, the, the great Muda was seen as such a, like, uh, just a, a, a crazy character, man. He had the green mist and he, uh, you know, was, it was kind of scary, you know? And, and so that feud was just really, really pivotal and it helped, you know, solidify Sting as, as even more of a baby face, not that he wasn't already solidified. Uh, as the face of the company but like that feud um, and leading into this and how that became such a a pivotal thing you know I love that we're talking about that to give it some context because that that does play a major role I mean you don't have the the uh, you know the prestige of Ric Flair versus Sting and what this feud meant if you don't have Sting versus Muda and then you don't have the pairing that happened coincidentally when Flair and Sting teamed up against, you know, a common enemy. But like you said, Rob, like it, it was definitely kind of a, an unnatural pairing and it never felt, you never felt like those guys were buddies. You know, you didn't feel like Sting was hanging out with Flair. You knew they had business to take care of in the ring. So they were going to join up and do that. Um, but Muda was such a big part of that. And, and I love, I love like going through this story so that we can get that full picture. Yeah, it's yeah, kind man. of interesting. I, I used to, I used to like every time I watch a show like uh, Game of Thrones or something like that. Um, you're always like, except for the last, uh, you're always like, man, this is such a good story. And there's like so many different players involved in this storyline, 
Like, why can't wrestling just get to that? But you look back and wrestling has kind of worked that way. You know, like in the past, like it's like with this Muda thing, like that it's just like they've got their own thing going on, but this is well thought out booking. Um, and I don't know who to, to credit most because I, I think uh, Oli does come in as a booker at some point here. Um, and uh, Dusty had been booking and then it was Oli or something. If I'm not mistaken, it was something like that. And uh, But it's just like, what a perfect transition to have that Sting and Muda f- feud lead perfectly into Sting joining the Horsemen and the, continuing this storyline that has the history that it has from already back to the clash and will have going forward. It's just, uh, just that's good stuff, man. That's why we love this stuff. It's like watching an M. Night Shyamalan movie, man, at the end where, where all these ends sort of suddenly like you realize, oh my gosh, they've been playing us the whole time. You know, that's how good, that's how wrestling should be. The NWA does it today. They do it today just like that. But they've been doing it forever, man. I mean, this is just this story is just it's it's Greek and Roman mythology, man. That's why we love it so much. And that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, for me, I'm a huge nerd for storyline continuity, uh, long term storytelling, things like that, which are, you know, again, like almost unheard of in mainstream wrestling today in 2020. Um, but you know, you look at that story arc and you've got, and I mean, these, these are, this is a, a years in the making. This isn't like now we're used to all of this happening between, you know, WWE pay-per-views. <laughs> you know, they try to like compact some nonsensical story, but this was like years of, man, we believed Sting and Great Muda hated each other. We saw it in the ring. We saw the storyline play out. And then we really believed that, that Ric Flair and Sting could form an alliance so to speak, against Great Muda because they had a common enemy. And then they teamed up and, and Sting's part of the Four Horsemen. And then we, you know, and all this was leading up to what we're talking about with Great American Bash 1990, where, you know, when you see that iconic shot, I think you tweeted it out earlier today, Gary, of just, you know, Sting in the American, you know, red, white, and blue face paint and Ric Flair facing off right. in the ring. That, I mean, I see that, that photo all the time. It's so iconic and that this match is so iconic. But it's iconic because this was years of storytelling leading up to a, a feud that was going to become a benchmark feud in, in wrestling, not just the company, but in all of wrestling. And all of that is due to this long-term story arc that was strategically put together and, and told in a cohesive way, which is it just it just makes me it makes me want so much more of that in today's because I can't even think of, of any storylines in the last 10 years that could even match that in in WWE or something like that. Like something that has that kind of patience that has that kind of diligence to tell that story, get you that bought in. And when you're that bought in, when that match actually happens, it's, it's massive. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and, and Rob was right. I mean, I guess I, you know, and I, I personally, I just remember hearing about it. Um, my big thing is always telling the stories about hearing the kids in school tell me about what was going on on the NWA stuff. And uh, so this always intrigued me about like the Flair and Sting rivalry. I remember just being excited about it, just hearing the stories secondhand a lot of times. So it's interesting to hear Rob's perspective that even in this at this point you're you're excited but you're also like this doesn't mean anything like this i mean 
it means something, but we don't know yet, and we don't know what's what's going to happen from here, and uh, and that's uh that's kind of exciting to hear. Um, well, this of course, then uh, you know, we'll, if you've been hanging out with us and doing cast app stuff with us, Rob got us in on this one a little while back. I mean, Sting and the Four Horsemen have their their little run, but um, it ends up pointing to Starcade '89, which featured in a round a four man round robin iron man tournament if i could uh say that three times fast um and basically everybody was wrestling for points which is a really cool concept to me i had honest to god never seen this until like a month or two ago and uh i kind of dug it but the final match came down to sting and and rick flair and of course whoever won this match that was gonna be what mattered and uh wouldn't you know it? Sting comes out on top and wins the uh, Iron Man tournament, and uh, and it gets a little. I remember it looking a little iffy there at the end of that. That you're like the Horsemen are congratulating Sting, uh, which the Horsemen I think we said were Oli and Art. I think Tully had failed a drug test, so like Oli uh, got thrown in there, even though he was booking at this time. But uh, they they celebrate Sting. They're like waiting to see what Flair's going to do. And Flair finally does offer the congratulations. Uh, James, uh, James Lawrence in the chat saying that uh, he knew that there was going to be a problem with all of this at some point because there was a whole statement, Rob, you may remember this, saying something about keeping the belt in the family, um, that they just wanted the belt there. And so that would and lead this to, is where, where lead we trouble down the road. Again, like I wanted, I, I, I liked thing being in there but even then and i'm just a kid at this point but even then i knew that this was not i mean i think everybody we knew at some point that this was a, a marriage of convenience we knew that it was not going to be a surprise that the fallout that would happen later on at the at a future class of the champions that we'll talk about here in a minute we it was gonna it was inevitable i felt that way as a kid i didn't want it to happen i didn't want it to happen the way it did happen but we knew that for for the horsemen it was about protecting titles and Sting wasn't on board with that. This is apples and oranges. And it, it's, again, to, to reiterate what I said earlier, it's not like the, the people just became new people overnight. Like you might see in a WWE gimmick where somebody just changes them. They just have a change of heart and the, the whole world is different. Now, Flair has been Flair. Flair's always been Flair. Even when Flair has been a baby, he's still Flair. You know, he's still going to do the eye gouge and the chop and the little cower in the corner. That's Flair. He, he's not, it's not a gimmick. It's real. You know, and and uh, the same thing with Sting. Sting's not doing a gimmick. Sting is Sting, and 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 Sting and Flair are oil and water. It's cool to see them interact. It's even beautiful, but it's temporary, guys. And even then, I knew that. So uh, after that matchup, yeah, uh, that that basically uh, made Sting the number one contender for Flair's NWA World's Heavyweight Championship, which of course led to tension, like we're talking about here. Um, and uh, that's where we get to what Rob, I, I think you were kind of alluding to, and maybe you can lend, lend us a little more detail here. But on February 6, 1990, Clash of the Champions 10, Texas Shootout. Uh, this is uh, basically... Sting's last day on the job as a member of the Four Horsemen, as I recall, correct? Yes, that's that's it. And and uh, and again, going back to the whole keeping the belt in the family, they talked it up as though uh, uh, as though you know 
it's it's a win-win for us because whatever happens at the end of uh, this upcoming uh, what the, the the winner of future shock star kid 89 and, I, and chad reese man you've been so good and i respect you i have to disagree with you that star kid 89 was the worst star kid i actually really like the star kid a lot man so many good personalities that normally. I was going to point out that a lot of people do do dislike that Starcade. It's, it's and I think weird because it was like very, I, said, I saw it the first time. It was very divisive because there was not one title match in in the whole card because the whole the whole event was this tournament, this round robin tournament. And cheap plug for the Daily Show, I actually do a five minute full recap of all of the whole Starcade '89 because I was just so fascinated by the concept and the points in the tournament and stuff. So if you want to go back, if you don't want to invest, you know, the couple of hours to watch it, go watch my five minute recap. But it was just yeah. such an interesting concept. And now looking back on it, uh, it is really cool. But I can imagine in the moment when Starcade is usually, you know, headlined by a, a huge biggest at the time world title match, I'm sure it was probably a letdown in that moment that there was no titles defended. Um, and, you know, again, looking back on it, it's cool to us to see this kind of tournament because it's different. Um, but I can see where Chad's coming from. Um, I, I also don't agree with that just because my only perspective, I didn't watch it live and in context, but my perspective is that it was pretty cool. But I can see how in real time it, it was probably a letdown. Yeah. And, and, and Chad, Chad Reese is, this is a knowledgeable fan. I've been just reading his comments. This, this is a guy who appreciates wrestling and knows what he's talking about. He points out some of the deficiencies in the tag team tournament that we mentioned during the cast that we thought was kind of confusing and everything, especially with the Midnight Express losing everything. I disagree with that. But, but you know, growing up in, the, in Starcade of all places, being the granddaddy of it all, you think that that belt being defended. I think that if we can get over that fact that this was not intended by booking at the time to be a place for a championship, this was, the, this was intended to set up Sting Flair. You know, if we can get over that, You've got some really remarkable things going on. You've got Road Warriors versus the Steiners. You've got Muda versus Flair, where Flair gets a clean pinfall over Muda. You've got Sting versus look at look at the 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 singles matches. They're clean. There's no outside interference at all. Every match is a clean match. And and you got Sting with a clear a clear win over Flair. Flair with clear wins over Luger and Muda. I mean, this is like everybody at their best. There's a lot of gems here. So you know. I see where Chad's coming from, and I don't want to throw shade on anybody who has that old school because I do. Y'all know me enough to know that I feel like the title is it. The title drives everything. But I think that this was this was one of the rare instances in which they were using Starcade, their flagship uh, pay-per-view, to put over a match that they knew was going to be seismic and that they knew was going to be history-changing. They, they were doing this to forward uh, the Steiner brothers and to forward – uh, Flair versus Sting, and so anyway, I didn't want to veer into that. But uh, uh, where, where were we going before that, Gary? Get me back on task here. Well, no, it's okay, buddy. Um, so, so what ends up happening here is like Sting is very adamant about the the stuff that you said prior. Uh, that Sting doesn't play that game that the Horsemen were playing about, like James Lawrence uh, put in the chat, the keeping in the family thing. Sting, you know, they're like, well, hey, if Flair's got the thing, it's in the family, and that's all that really matters. And Sting is very adamant about, no, dude, I am the number one contender, and I'm gonna get my title shot, and uh, and I think we should have a match. We don't have to hate each other. We'll just have a match, and uh, and they don't like that. And uh, it leads up to this Clash of the Champions ten, where it's uh, 
bittersweet, I guess, for Stig. I don't know. Uh, maybe all bitter, technically. He gets kicked out of the four horsemen, essentially. I, I, my understanding is, is I, it's been a while since I've seen this one, uh, but that he, yeah, just because he wouldn't relinquish that number one contender spot and wouldn't get that up, the four horsemen right. finally decided to take him out of the four horsemen. And that's actually earlier in the night. And then they have a match later that evening uh, that Ole participates in, and it's a uh, Flair, Ole, and Arn, where uh, they defeat Gary Hart International. But in the middle of the match, it's still a cage match, and Sting tries to do the run-in on that match. And uh, sorry if I'm getting ahead of myself, but Sting ends up blowing out his knee in the middle of this match yes. as well. Right, yeah. Um, let me hold off on that bit for a second. I want to get back to the to the conversation at the end since we've already talked about it. Um, Arn Anderson gives this great – no, no, it's Ole Anderson, I think, that gives this great talk about how it was Flair that made an on-the-spot decision to admit Sting in. He comes in to save to, – to rescue Flair from the Muda, Terry Funk, Gary Hart attack. And uh, as the horsemen are coming in now, – now, let's go back into history and look at what the way the horsemen operate. This isn't the first time in the history of the world that, that someone has tried to help Flair out and they have to turn the tables. Let's remember back when Dusty Rhodes broke his leg. You got you remember that, Will? Yep. Dusty Rhodes intervened to help Rick Flair against who? Nikita Koloff, right? The Russians are beating up Flair. Who comes in to save Rick Flair from the Russians? And he runs the Russians out of the cage. It is Rick Flair. It's Dusty Rhodes. Dusty Rhodes comes in to, to, to scurry the, the Russians. They leave. And then Tully and Arn come in. Tully, Arn, and Oli come in. And it looks like they're going to embrace Dusty. And what do they do? Flair points at Dusty and says, I don't need your help. Take him out. And they break Dusty Rhodes' leg. And they really broke his leg. He really broke his leg, guys, like in real life. So fast forward. So people watching this match – this 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 clash of the or, or, or going back to uh, eight, uh, 1989 where where Flair's getting attacked by Terry Funk and Great Muda. When Sting comes in, all of us with that context, what do we think is about to happen? What are we assuming is about to happen? We're thinking that the Horsemen are going to come in, and rather than congratulate Sting, they're going to attack Sting, but it doesn't happen. Oli says, Flair where, uh, waves him off and throws up the Four Horsemen sign. And at that point, Flair makes the, the call on the spot that, Flair, that Sting was going to be protected. But what this also says is that, that Sting was always running in that stable on Flair's good graces, that he was only operating at the blessing and at the pleasure of Rick Flair. And so it's not about keeping the belt in the family, I guess is what I'm getting at. It's keeping the belt on Flair. And that's what that clash of the champions established, that Flair is the CEO of the company. Everybody has their role. You know, Anderson is the uh, Arn is the enforcer. Oli and JJ did the booking, the management, but Flair is the flagship. And if anybody violates that equilibrium, they got to go. And so all this time, Sting, which we already knew, we just didn't know when it was going to come to a head. All this time, Sting is operating on, uh, on, on Flair's good graces. And what happens at that Clash of the Champions is just a natural extension of what happened to Dusty Rhodes when Dusty tried to rescue Ric Flair from the Russians and got his leg broke for it. That's a cool amount of context there in the middle of this. Um, because of the injury with Sting, 
um, it forced the bookers uh, to find a new opponent for Flair for the uh, Wrestle War pay-per-view event that was coming up. Um, and uh, Lex Luger was chosen to challenge Flair at Wrestle War. Uh, during the match between Flair and Luger, uh, Sting ends up coming down to motivate Luger, Luger to come back and beat Flair. Uh, before this, uh, Sting and Luger had also been kind of at odds. So it was uh, almost a different approach uh, with their relationship as well. Uh, when, when Luger was close to winning, Sting was attacked by Ole Anderson. Luger opted to save the already injured Sting and ended up losing the match by countout while assisting his buddy. Uh, behind the scenes, supposedly the story here, just uh, sorry, I was trying to get to this and try to think of the best way to say it. Uh, WCW officials had apparently wanted Flair to drop the title to Luger at WrestleWar, but Flair refused. Uh, he said that he had promised Steve Borden, Sting, that he would hold the title until Borden could return to the ring. And despite the injury, Sting had to be utilized on television because of this. Like, Flair wouldn't drop this thing to anybody. And so they kept Sting on television in some kind of role throughout to keep that rivalry and that interaction alive, I guess. Is that, is that all clicking for you, Rob? Yeah, yeah, no, exactly what you, what you were saying, man. And I was just looking in the... Uh... I was about to comment on James Lawrence because he said Dusty saved the Russians. It's like, no, 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 but then he corrected himself. So, now nah, what you said, Gary, I, I really don't have anything to add to it. I think you're, you you summarized it perfectly. I just like to jump back to you every once in a while to make sure I'm not just uh, feeding no, a you're right, man. bunch of BS. I actually, wrote the Wikipedia, <laughs> I actually wrote the Wikipedia article that you're reading from, so. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. Believe <laughs> <laughs> it. Nice uh thanks for thanks for selling me out i just wanted you to think no, that just i just kidding, do this man. stuff really like it. Really <laughs> 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 oh man um let's see what else here do i have in the old notes the uh next thing up is uh sorry i lost my place in my own notes and uh no i mean that's pretty much it really guys i mean it, what happens from here is they get to capital combat in may and uh, Sting's still getting accosted by the four horsemen uh he gets thrown into a metal cage i guess this is all when he's recovering uh but luckily for sting on that evening robocop was in attendance and uh rescued him from the cage and chased off the four horsemen um, so. Let me add one thing here, Gary. This, this is this is where we're starting to see a low point in Ric Flair's career. Uh, just for some context, mentioning the Luger feud and everything, Luger was inserted into this. Flair was not going to drop the belt to Luger, okay? And he didn't. I mean, no shade on Luger, man. I think Luger was misused. But this enters this phase in '89 and '90 where Flair has a series of matches with Luger. One of them was Capital Combat. There was a couple others where through some mishap, through like I think there was one match where Luger had Flair in the torture rack and the match was stopped because Luger had a cut on his head. It's like the most unbelievable thing. I mean, people lost their minds. But in most circumstances, what would happen is Flair would win, retain by disqualification. And he had a series of losses by DQ. There was even talk in PWI about, uh, about, about stripping Flair of the belt because of this mismanagement. And, and that was a real thing. 
this was at the time when everybody was starting to question AWA. AWA had lost their um, contract with ESPN. Larry Zabisco was the champion, and he was doing a series of things like that where he wasn't showing up for appearances or he would win uh, or retain under inauspicious circumstances. And PWI stripped AWA of its world championship status. So they were starting to hang that threat over Crockett in the NWA because of Flair and Luger. And so this was like leading up that I think part of it was like setting the inevitability of Sting's return and what that would was going to mean. Because I think at this point, even as big of a Flair fan as I was, I just knew that when Sting returned, there was no nothing in the world barring horseman interference that was going to keep him from winning the belt. There was nothing in it that was going to stop that from happening. I think it's like a really cool moment of despite what anybody could think about somebody like a Ric Flair or something like that, uh, that, that he promised sting that he would hold the belt until they could wrap that rivalry up, uh, you know, or get to a conclusion like that. It just, uh, that's, that's pretty cool. I, I just think it's a really, he knew the value too of him maintaining that run, you know, because, uh, you know, Obviously, it would have been an option to have Luger win the belt and then Flair win it back, you know, before. But I think Ric Flair knew the value of him maintaining that champion status throughout Sting's injury so that when the the transition took place, it was that much bigger. You know, we've talked about that a little here, even with Nick Aldis, like, you're talking about transitional champions and things like that. I think sometimes they're necessary, but I think Ric Flair was smart enough to know that in this instance, in order to, because they had been, as we mentioned, they've been working this story for years and they've been building it up through other feuds and through, uh, you know, them unifying in the four horsemen together and then the split and then to not have the payoff be Ric Flair is the, I mean, Ric uh, Sting is the one that takes the belt off of him in that title reign it would have diminished it a, a little bit. Maybe not historically looking back on it, maybe we'd still be looking at it the same. But at the time, I think Ric Flair was smart enough to know, I've got to keep this title until Sting can come back and take it because it's not going to have the same prestige if there's three title changes while Sting's sitting on the bench. You know, It's going to devalue that title over time and it's not going to be as big a deal. Yeah, and... Um... And I mean, that's kind of the setup for the main event of Great American Bash 90, folks. I mean, that's that's it. That's going to get you right there to Sting making his comeback and him facing off against Ric Flair in the main event for the World's Heavyweight Championship. Uh, this is going to go on to be a match that, uh, for the record, is a three-quarter three star match from the Wrestling Observer, I think, uh, cagematch.com or .net. I mean, had it at like a seven dot four six or something so it's like 7.5 out of 10 um so uh pretty highly praised i think and uh but we'll get there we'll talk about the match more in detail at that time um but it's a stacked card man i'm excited to uh watch it with everybody tomorrow uh you know you get to see the debut of big van vader uh, I, I heard some stories about that one I want to dig into with like Cactus Jack and stuff like that uh, on his way out during that time. And I think each of these matches probably have a little bit of a story behind them. I actually remember this pay-per-view most of all because I remember the Midnight Express in it. 
and I I just uh, I don't know why like that this match stood out to me, but I, I remembered it seeing it way later than when it debuted. But I remember going back when I would hear about the Midnight Express and this being one of the matches I watched with the Southern Boys and being like, man, the Midnight Express is kind of cool. Like <laughs> they're they're pretty good. And uh, then with Jim Cornette, like it was just an excellent combo. So uh, this is gonna, it's going to be a lot of fun. The dudes with attitude are in this. How could he beat that? Dudes with attitude. Uh, El Higante. Nothing on that. No, nobody. <laughs> out there. I used to think he was like the coolest thing when I was a kid and I would see like clips of his. Then I was like, that guy is massive. Uh, as I recall, he'll stay out most of this match and for good reason. But yeah, I mean, he was, he had had, um, a little run before and he was big man and he was i mean he's a big dude very nice i actually got to meet him uh before he passed away tragically you know but dudes with attitude man that was the that was the the stings answer to the horseman you had paul orndorff you had the jyd you know in that thing and uh uh i mean it was it was cool at the time it was cool and 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 there, jyd had just had been a year or two removed from having a little run against Flair, and, and he had had a lot of momentum and and uh, and stuff. So, legendary. Uh, well, I, I won't say the faction was legendary, but it was made up of legends plus Elegante. You know. Yeah. The um, but I think I think it was cool to get the uh, context here, the Sting and Flair rivalry, most of all, because this is like one of. The- the most rivalries i mean this is a rivalry that you'll see go on to i mean on the last episode of wcw nitro flair came back to make sure and wrestle sting one last time in in that that show i remember and it was just uh it was cool to see those guys go at it i i don't know like they they just uh threw, threw out it all like it's something you don't get a lot of. Like, I feel like you watch a WWE show sometimes right now and uh, there's no regard for the history of what's happened. And, uh, and at least through their whole story together, uh, they got to keep that part of it. I think like it at least wrapped up in that. uh, I don't think they, maybe, maybe they did in in TNA. I don't remember uh, because I wasn't watching it. But there was some interaction, but now, I mean, for all intents and purposes, I mean, the, the feud ended there on, on Nitro. But let me say, just to tie it into the current, the current day, I think that uh, bringing it forward to Nick Aldis and, and the incredible thing he's done with, with the World Championship, we're not quite sure yet who that Sting foil is to him, who his Magnum TA, who his Dusty Rhodes is. Is it Tim Storm? Is it uh, Marty Skrull? Is it James Storm? Is it Eli Drake? We don't know yet. I mean, we're still we're still in the second reign of Nick Aldis. He is at this point, he's at the point now where Flair was at in 1984, 85. So if that, that should motivate you guys, man. I mean, we've got great stuff ahead of us with Nick Aldis and we've got long reigns, we've got a bunch of reigns, but have we yet found our Modern day Sting, our ma- modern day Magnum TA, our modern day Dusty Rhodes, our modern day Ricky Steamboat, to counter the great champion that Nick Aldis is. I don't know. I don't. I don't know that we've seen him yet. Maybe we have, but it, it's fun just to think that we are just getting started with Nick Aldis, and they're providing us with a taste of, of what we experienced in those days back in the that 
those days of summer, man, back in 87, 88, 89, and 90, man, that glorious time. Well, hey, man, and Nick Aldis is like on the, I mean, personally, I still feel like on the uh, earlier side of this kind of flair run that we're talking about. Like, uh, flair, flair had many, many years in wrestling, still has years in wrestling. He's still doing it, technically, uh, not physically wrestling, but he's still there. Um, you know, yeah. He, so Nick has, Nick has plenty of ways to go that he could, like you talk about drop that title and pick it back up for a couple of more reigns and then yeah. before maybe maybe that happens before he meets his sting down the road right yeah yeah it's all this is at now where flair was at in 1984 so and you think where was flair in 84 well he still had two or three decades to go so we are in the early days of the of the importance and the legacy of nick aldis that should motivate all of us who love the nwa and who love the uh, the world's heavyweight championship Right, it's reestablishing that legacy. Um, Will, did you have anything else you wanted to add about the uh, prequel to Great American Bash 90? No, man, I'm excited about watching it with everyone tomorrow night. Uh, just a reminder, we'll we'll get it cranked up around uh, the same time as that other wrestling show and uh, around 8 o'clock or so and, and watch it together, chat in the app, and then we'll cover it on Tuesday night in, in more detail. But, man, it's a stacked card. And um, I have been working my way through a lot of 90s pay-per-views. This is not one that I've seen recently. So this will be a uh, refresher. I don't know if I've seen this full event since I was a kid watching it on VHS. So this will be a really, really fun, uh, fun time. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be sending out links and stuff. So everyone, uh, if you want to go ahead and download the cast app, go ahead and download it, get ready, get an account and all that kind of stuff. But uh, we'll be sending out links to, to join us tomorrow. It's, it's going to be a good time, man. The, the doc will be in the chat and he'll be educating us all throughout and giving us all the context. And so that, that'll be a lot of fun. If for nothing I'll be else, making jokes about see, mullets. Yeah. Tune in to see Harley race <laughs> and Tommy Wapai rich guys. I mean, Oh my gosh, Tommy rich yeah. and Harley race. Are you kidding me? What a card, man. It's going to be a good time. So yeah, we'll be going head to head with Monday night raw. So if you're not into sports, sports entertainment then you'll want to join us for that on the cast app so look that up it's k-a-s-t it's the cast app it's easy to all you gotta do is download it sign up and then uh we'll get you the links tomorrow on where to go to watch this thing and uh it'll it'll, it'll be a good time a hot time in the old town tonight also don't forget to subscribe to the channel if you're watching this and haven't already if you got friends who ever use youtube or if you enjoy this kind of discussion send them here tell them to subscribe get us in front of more people we want to entertain we want to raise the nwa family hashtag nwa fam hashtag gravy cake also don't forget we've got the nwapod.com Launched and ready to go. You can go over there right now and get some hashtag NWA fam merch at cost. Go get that stuff. Show BNWA that you love them. We're all just representing. Uh, we want to make sure that this thing, that when they decide they're ready to go again, we're ready for them. And also don't forget that we have the contest going, that if you just go over there right now and just scroll down to the bottom there, you can enter your email address and you're automatically entered to win a free piece of merchandise, whatever you want. We'll just, we'll just give it to you. So uh, go do that.
go sign up right now on the email list. And uh, if you like us and you want to do anything more, you can buy us a beer with a one-time donation. Thank you to everybody who's donated. Thank you to everybody who's placed an order so far. We are grateful to you guys. Uh, guys, anything else you want to talk about before we uh, wrap this thing up for the evening? No, man, I'll just give a shout out to uh, WWE Front Row. Became uh, a monthly supporter of the show tonight. So shout out to him. Uh, you know, we put him over earlier. Definitely a pivotal part of the hashtag NWA fam. But that that uh, that monthly support is going to help us uh, drastically enrich the uh, content that we're going to be bringing you guys and uh, create just a bigger platform for uh, the National Wrestling Alliance, which is all we're trying to do here. Um, so, so thank you to WWE Front Row. Anyone else who has uh, made a contribution, we really, really appreciate it. It helps us look better to our wives so that they're not just like, you guys are dorks sitting in a room talking to each other and nobody cares. Nobody's listening. <laughs> and, now, uh, but now we're dorks <laughs> with t-shirts. So there's a difference. <laughs> right. Exactly. All right. Well, uh, yeah, Chad, thank you so much for all the information you dropped in the chat. James Lawrence, as always, thank you. It's a pleasure, sir. And uh, we will be back on Monday for the, well, not here. We'll be on the cast app Monday night to watch Great American Bash. Of course, you have time to watch the Great American Bash like a week. If you can't make it with us, uh, you can always watch the thing. And we're going to talk about it on Tuesday, we're going to be talking about the actual Great American Bash on the actual 30th anniversary. So we'll give you a week to watch it in case you can't join us on Monday. That's just the time we can all get together. Uh, and uh, thanks, Wowza Woman, for the uh, congrats on 300 subscribers. Yeah, we've uh, been moving up slowly, but surely we're working our way up. And uh, yeah, so guys, uh, watch the Great American Bash, even if not with us. Watch it and come show up on the next Tuesday. But also, we'll be back this Tuesday at 8.30ish, usually, uh, always. Uh, until then, uh, Will, where can people find you on the interwebs? Yeah, at Hey It's Will on uh, Twitter and Instagram. Trying to uh, ramp up uh, the Instagram NWA fam. So if you are on Instagram and active, um, going to be doing some live chats and things over there in the coming weeks. Uh, so make sure you go follow me over there and let's connect. Uh, I'm on TikTok uh, at Real Hey It's Will. And, uh, you know, just trying to give some some daily wrestling news over on that platform. And then obviously, hey, it's Will Daily. Keep tuning in every day for the uh, hashtag NWA fam stories. Um, a lot a lot of really great stories are going to be coming out this week that have been submitted to me over the weekend. So stay tuned for that. Good deal. You can Forget. find me on Twitter at rstinson4. I am on Instagram at um, Robert Stinson or RD Stinson4. Um, Let's see. Uh, I'm, we put all of our content now on uh, on this is the NWA podcast on YouTube. So, um, I mean, I've got some stuff on Stinson Vision, but I'm, I'm really trying to, to to discipline my posting and I get confused. You know, I'm a little bit older. Um, so I so put it all on that. Uh, you can find me on MySpace at Tom. <laughs> Stop you can, it. Uh, we go. Uh, That's what I was sitting here waiting for. I'm not yet on the Tic Tacs. But, uh, uh, got him. Got him <laughs> with the Tic Tac. Sucker me in, man. You sucker me in. That's why I was just sitting here just like anticipating. I was like, oh, yeah. now, don't it, even say it. Our Stinson 4 on Twitter is what I'm primarily on, guys. Uh, but at, at any Not our Stinson 
four on Instagram because there is an R Stetson four, but it's R D Stetson four on Instagram. Yes. And uh, I keep tagging an R Stetson four and that poor guy. I don't know. No, no, yeah, like, yeah. Why? <laughs> I was late to the Instagram game, man. I'm, I hadn't gotten on Snack Shack yet either, man. Snack Shack, it's cool. Um, but but uh, anyway, uh, primarily, <laughs> primarily, Twitter is my main conduit of communication. You can uh, personal message me if you want information on the shop, if you want uh, whatever. You can reach out to me there if you want to, you know, be a guest on Piper's Notes. We'd love to have super fans. We get pro wrestlers, rock stars. Uh, and super fans on, on our show. And we'd love to have anybody. Uh, so uh, just personal message me, but uh, you can find us at the NWA pod. That's where our home is at. And so uh, thank you for your support. And uh, I look forward to the follows and the subscribes and, uh, and all that stuff. So. Well, I am at this is Gary Horn on all of the social media stuff. And as always, the podcast is at the NWA pod. So you guys got to check that out. If you're not already following us, please do subscribe, like, do all the stuff. Tell your friends about us. That's the big one. If you're feeling really froggy, go over to the podcast on uh, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Hit subscribe there. Maybe give us a five-star review. That would be really sweet. But the main thing, just tell your friends. Just tell your friends about us. And uh, let's build this community together. Hashtag NWA fam. Uh, we love you guys. And we appreciate every single one of you who shows up in the chat. You guys are awesome. And it makes these shows a lot better when you contribute your knowledge and your information. That's what this is all about, man. The live shows are about the interaction with the community and the hashtag NWA fam. All right. Well, I'm going to wrap it up for now. Thank you guys so much for all of that. And until next time, enjoy your